Careful now. Boing. So cool to be playing vinyl. Vinyl. Took the record off the turntable. You ready for this? Welcome to Behind the Vinyl. Here's your host, Stu Jeffries. Hello and welcome to another Behind the Vinyl podcast. I'm Stu Jeffries, and this is the place where your favorite artists play a vinyl copy of one of their hits and tell us all about it. Later in the show, Howard Jones on No One Is To Blame and how it took some convincing to get that smash released as a single. I took the song to the head of the record company and I played it to him. He said to me, oh man, you know, that's a B-side. And it was one of those moments where you had to kind of stand up for what you what you really thought and believed about your work. Howard Jones later, but first, my pal Ray McGuire from Trooper and the story behind the iconic track, Raise a Little Hell. I played this song in the first band that Smitty and I were in, and Smitty and I still together. Played it for probably 10 years before we recorded it. We actually were on our fourth album, and we were one song short, so we only had seven songs. Um, and Randy Backman, who was producing, said, do you have anything else? And we're all set up doing beds, so... Um, which is just the, the music track. We said, well, we got this old song that we've been playing for years, and we closed the show with it, and people seemed to like it. He said, well, r- run it through. So we played it through once, and they're recording, and, and, and our keyboard player's like, oh, this song, no, wait, no, we can't do, do it. This, it's, too, it's too simple. So there's only like two chords for most of it. Like, let's work on it for a little bit, add some extra chords in, make some modulation or something we're having this argument Randy says just just play it again so we played it one more time and this is it this is this is the recording that we made the, the second time that we that we played it so Frank didn't get his uh, modulation this went through a lot of um, lyric changes it, one of the lines was you know kind of in the uh, hippie days it was with a bomb and a motorcycle you can rearrange it which was I thought that was hilariously ironic at the time but we changed that later so we released the record and the Canadian radio stations if you can imagine this now <clears throat> Canadian radio stations like well over half of them say this song's too heavy we can't we can't play this in the daytime they wouldn't play this song until after 6 o'clock 8 o'clock at night Record company freaks out, re-releases a single. So they used to release a a 45 to radio with the same song on both sides. Record company re-releases a single, sends it to all the radio stations with Round Round We Go on the other side, which is a song that they could play in the daytime, which they did play in the daytime. So now we have two songs on the radio, one before six and one after six. So the the song um, song didn't... uh, didn't seem like it had much of a chance but it ended up becoming arguably our most well-known popular song Randy didn't even want it he wanted us to change the name to Raise a Little Howl because he was Mormon and uh, hell maybe that's why they didn't want to play it before 6 o'clock as well then we get down to um, Universal the big Universal Building, MCA was called at the time. Meet the president of, of the record company. I, I've got a song later in one of our albums where I said, we were in LA where people shook my hands, 
while they were looking the other way. That's what this guy did. He actually, I was introduced to him, and he's looking out his skyscraper window. He's, oh, nice to meet you. Shakes my hand. And he said, this is a single from the album. We were all like, so this song just about didn't get to anybody for a whole bunch of different reasons. Then ends up um, not doing too bad. Ray McGuire from Trooper and Raise a Little Hell on Behind the Vinyl. Hard to imagine that could have been Raise a Little Howl. I'm Stu Jeffries with Howard Jones standing by. We're going to get to No One is to Blame in a couple of minutes. Next, though, Neil Osborne and Brad Merritt from 5440 dropped the needle on I Go Blind, a song they say was actually a fusion of two different songs. Oh, yeah. It's my brother's Martin. That's what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Guitar. Mushroom Studios. Yes. And who else sung on this? Phil. Phil. Yeah. Me. That's Mystic. you and Phil. Yeah. 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 My brother played the organ on it, too. Well, I remember when we were doing uh, the next record down in L.A., and you and Phil flying back to Vancouver to do the video for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in our couch and sweaters. So the song, the song uh, was not released in the United States as a single. They cut yeah. us off after Baby Ran and I Want to Know. And we really felt this would be a good third single, and then Canada picked it up, and it, it started to take off in Canada for us. And actually it was released as a 7-inch single, too. Remember that? Yep. What was the B-side on that? No idea. Don't remember. Yeah. <sighs> And then uh, the song itself, though it was, if you remember, we were jamming on two different riffs, two yeah. different songs. So there was the uh, this part, little child, and that kind of went on and became its own song. And the uh, other section was the, believe it or not, the every time I look at you, I go blind. Was some other song we were trying to take somewhere, and I think it was Phil that said, "Why don't we just put them together?" And that'll take care of that. If you listen to the arrangement, there's, it's not like your stock, uh, you know, verse, pre, chorus, bridge. There, it just kind of does what it does. Yeah. And, and uh, it's an organic mashup. Yeah. We didn't play the song. Remember, remember when the record came out? We didn't play it at the Commodore when we did our first big headline show. Right. And everybody got mad that we didn't play it. Yes. We didn't think it was that popular. And of course, it ended up being popular. Turned out to be popular. That's a good thing. <laughs> what else about that? Rave produced it. We we were, that record. We we were. It was an indie record that Warner in LA picked up. And so we we had our little day jobs, and then we would save our money. And for twenty five bucks an hour, we'd go into Mushroom Studios after midnight, midnight to six. I think it was fifty dollars an hour. No, it was twenty five. Oh, was it really? Twenty five. Oh, that's yeah. good. And Linda was running the studio, and uh, they had to have the board zeroed by 6 a.m. because they would be taping commercials starting at 7. So, you know, that was commitment and craziness. It was, yeah. Middle of the night recording. And that's that. Neil Osborne and Brad Merritt of 5440 on Behind the Vinyl and I Go Blind. I'm Stu Jeffries, and up next, No One Is to Blame, a huge hit for Howard Jones, one he says almost didn't make the cut. Here's Hojo on Behind the Vinyl. No One Is to Blame. There's so much to say about this song. I don't know where to begin. It's absolutely, um, it's, it was my biggest song at radio in North America. And it started life 
on the uh, Dream Interaction album, and, and it's a, it's the it's the version on the album that my biggest supporters and fans prefer. So I went on to record this track with um, with with Phil Collins because uh, I always thought that it could be much more of a sort of radio single. I thought that was like a great album track, but I thought it had potential to be, you know, a big radio song. Um, and I believed that, and I took the song to the head of the record company at Electra, and I played it to him in his office. And um, I said, I really think this could do really well, you know, in in Canada and uh, and the States. And he said to me, Oh man, you know, that's a B-side. And I said, No, I said, No, I honestly really do believe this could. And I, it was one of those moments where you had to kind of stand up for what you what you really thought and believed about your work. And of course, it went on to be like number one at radio and. Uh, and you're one of my biggest songs ever. But the, gen- the, the, the interesting sort of genesis of the writing of it was that, again, you know, I hadn't written any of these songs after Humans Live, and I, I was on the road, and so really all my um, input was coming from traveling and people I was meeting, and, and I was in San Francisco with a record company guy who was just going to um, a radio station there. I'm crossing the road, and he says to me, um, what do you think of all the amazing women here in San Francisco? You know, all these gorgeous women. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, fantastic. They're really amazing. Like women in, uh, you know, all cities around the world, they're amazing. Um, I said, you know, I've got my Jan and I'm really happy with her and I'm really sorted with my, with my relationship. He said to me, you can look at the menu, but you don't have to eat. And... You know, having lived a sort of sheltered life, I'd never really heard that expression before. And it sort of songwriter's brain goes into gear and think, oh man, it could be a really great starting point for a song. Um, because it's like, but I turned it slightly to be about wanting things that you couldn't really have. And if you did have them, big trouble would probably um, ensue. So, so it was. Um, it was one of those. It was one of those songs that. Um, it's quite a complex, um, you know, subject matter, and lots of people have different interpretations of it. Um, and just the just the line, "No one is to blame," um, can be interpreted in so many different ways. And um, that's the beauty of the song, I think, um, for me now, is that the meaning of it is still um, evolving. Anyway, when I when I finally got to go and record it with with with, with Phil Collins, it was it was it was an amazing thing because he he said to me, you know, I I think that you um, should program something up, you know, so I can play drums over the top of it. So I spent like a whole weekend programming up this percussion lid for my Lin Nine Thousand drum machine, and that became probably the biggest hook in the whole song. Anyway, you know, it was. Uh, it was great fun. Howard Jones on Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries, and that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, you can hear more of your favorite Behind the Vinyl episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time. This has been Behind the Vinyl, the podcast, hosted by Stu Jeffries. Audio production courtesy of Doug Morehouse, Derek Walsman, and Troy McCallum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>